Welcome to another edition of Theater Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, Be Kind Rewind looks at the film you voted for. For our featured movies this week, an iconic chocolate maker shows us his origins, a struggling writer caters to stereotypes, a couple goes on the search for their daughter, and a woman explores sexual liberation. Let's get started. First up, a young chocolate maker has dreams of hitting it big and bringing delicious candies to the masses. This is Wonka. Ladies and gentlemen, greetings to you all. My name is Willy Wonka. You see, I'm something of a magician. Prepare to be amazed. Tape up. <laughs> Inventor. May I present Willy Wonka's wild and wonderful wishy-washy Wonka Walker? Please don't make me say that again. And chocolate maker. Best chocolate of the world. Ooh. He's good. Too good. And anyone can afford them. Even the... The poor? He doesn't like it when people say poor. Send Wonka a message. Do not sell chocolate in this town! In this prequel, directed by Paddington Helmer Paul King, it tells how Willie became Wonka. Starring Academy Award nominee Timothee Chalamet in the title role, the film begins with a young Wonka wandering the streets of London with dreams of selling his delicious confections to make his deceased mother proud. His mother is played by Oscar nominee Sally Hawkins. With very little money, he gets an offer to stay at a local inn run by Mrs. Scrubbit and her loyal assistant Bleacher, played by Oscar winner Olivia Colman and Tom Davis. However... Upon checking in, Wonka failed to read the fine print of his agreement. Fine print that states that there is an extra charge for anything from walking up the stairs to using the bar of soap provided in his room. This naturally runs up a huge bill that he cannot afford to pay. So he is ordered to work off his debt in the laundry facility in the basement, where he meets others in the same predicament. They include Abacus Crunch, a former accountant to candy manufacturer Slugworth, and Noodle, an orphaned young girl who spends her days delivering Mrs. Scrubbit's laundry across the city. Crunch is played by Downton Abbey actor Jim Carter, and Noodle is played by Kayla Lane. After a few days of torturous chores, Wonka devises a plan to hit it big with his chocolates by involving all of his fellow workers in on the scheme. The problem he faces is that the other local chocolate makers are furious with the competition because they have tasted the chocolate and know how much better it is compared to theirs. The businessmen have formed an alliance merging the profits of their candies. Slugworth, Prodnose, and Ficklegruber form a monopoly and are less than enthused that they face new competition. So they recruit the chief of police played by Keegan-Michael Key, who takes their bribe and helps them sabotage Wonka's efforts to bring his chocolate store into existence, can Wonka and his cohorts overcome the greedy and sneaky chocolatiers and bring his lifelong dreams to fruition? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a shove-it, and I give this film a... See it! I was shocked, shocked I tell you, about how much I enjoyed this film. This film is a whimsical delight from beginning to end. I love the Paddington movies, so I should have known that this was going to be good considering it was from the same director. 
but the trailers just made this look terrible. I think that they deliberately hid the fact that this is a full-on musical may have contributed to my initial feelings. Chalamet is wonderful as Willy Wonka. He has a hard lift in this movie, and he pulls it off quite well. Lane is a star in the making in this movie. She is charismatic and charming throughout. Even that grumpy Hugh Grant in a small part as an Oompa Loompa named Lofty steals every scene he's in. As a PG-rated film, this is one that is a wonderful option for families to see over the holiday season. I liked it so much that I went back and saw it a second time three days later. And I'll probably see it again before it leaves the theaters. It is that enjoyable. Next, when a writer is frustrated about the changing tastes of readers, he goes to extremes to prove his relevancy. This is American Fiction. They ran 300,000 copies. Your books changed people's lives. They're offering $4 million for the movie rights. Yes! The dumber I behave, the richer I get. Stag Arley is still on the run for authorities. You haven't done anything. It's not like they can arrest you. Wish I could go back to not selling books. Is it bad to cater to people's tastes? People want to love you, Monk. You should let them love all of you. Writer-director Cord Jefferson adapts Percival Everett's novel, Erasure, into the satirical take on society. Starring Jeffrey Wright as struggling writer Thelonious Monk Ellison. Monk is growing increasingly frustrated at current books that pander to white readers through stereotypical portrayals of black characters. However, these are books that are becoming bestsellers while his novels sit on shelves collecting dust. He decides to channel this frustration by writing a fake book called My Pathology. He jokingly gives it to his agent who sends it out to publishers who, unsurprisingly, love it, much to Monk's dismay and aggravation. The book is so blatantly exaggerated and offensive that he thought there would be no way anyone would want it. He refuses to accept any offers to publish it even though an obscene amount of money is being tossed his way. To prevent it from being published, he retitles the book, Fuck, thinking there would be no publisher willing to put out a book with that title. However, it backfires when they love it even more, even commissioning it into a movie adaptation. He writes under the pseudonym Stag R. Lee. He creates a persona for himself that involves a criminal history and becomes a literary sensation. In his personal life, Monk is dealing with an aging mother who has begun the onset of dementia, a sister who is coping with financial troubles, and a brother who is navigating life as a gay man after having his wife catch him in bed with another man. The film is a scathing dissection of the prejudices and biases the mainstream media places on black artists. When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it. And I give this film a... See it! This film was a riot, and such a biting look at what the black artistic community is often reduced to in a predominantly white industry. Jeffrey Wright is amazing, as always, as was Tracy Ellis Ross, Leslie Uggams, Erica Alexander, and especially Sterling K. Brown, whose performance, along with Wright's, should merit serious Oscar consideration. This film might make some people uncomfortable, but that is exactly what it intends to do, and it does it so very well. I realize that as a person who has certain opportunities come more easily to me because of the color of my skin, I am someone that this movie is talking about. But I don't take offense to it because I'm aware of my white privilege. 
I got the joke the film is telling, but if you're someone who is easily offended by this concept, then this may not be the film for you. But you would be missing out on a great, great movie. Next, when a wayward chicken escapes to see the world, her parents must find her before it's too late. This is Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Last time we broke out of a chicken farm. Well, this time, we're breaking in. It's an impossible mission. They're going to turn everyone into nuggets. Find those chickens. Hang on, Fowler. There go the goujons. Are you sure you're ready for this? I was hatched ready, Dad. In the sequel to the hit 2000 animated film, this film takes place a few years after Ginger and Rocky have escaped from Tweedy's farm. Ginger and Rocky are voiced by Tandaway Newton and Zachary Levi. They are now living on an island so far away that even Mrs. Tweedy, voiced by Miranda Richardson, can't get to them. Their quiet life of isolation is disrupted when their daughter Molly begins yearning to discover what life is like on the mainland. Voiced by Bella Ramsey, Molly rebels against her parents and ends up on a chicken farm, one that is a factory trying to perfect the ultimate chicken nugget. The factory does this by deceiving the chickens into believing that they are in a utopia. This keeps them calm and happy, which is the farmer's goal since a stressed out chicken leads to tougher meat. Worrying about their daughter, Ginger and Rocky gather a gang with a mission of breaking into the facility to rescue Molly. Will they get there in time before Molly ends up on someone's dinner plate? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see it, and I give this film a... See it. I wasn't a huge fan of the original movie, and while I enjoyed this one enough to recommend it, it's not my favorite animated film of the year. It is uneven in spots, and the humor doesn't always land, but when it does, it's hilarious. Stop-motion animation is not usually my favorite type to watch. There's just something about it that is jarring to me when I'm watching it. However, this one was one of the better ones I've seen, and I enjoyed the storyline for the most part. The voice work was all pretty great, and I think it's something that kids will enjoy watching while they're home from school over the next few weeks. Finally, a woman is reanimated to life and goes on a journey of self-discovery. This is Poor Things. I am Bella Baxter. I'm a flawed, experimenting person. I seek outings and adventures. Bella's so much to discover. You're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I am finding being alive fascinating. Bella. Why I keep it in my mouth if it is revolting? (laughs) I must go punch that baby. We must experience everything, not just the good. In Academy Award-nominated director Yorgos Lanthimos' epic tale, Oscar winner Emma Stone plays Bella Baxter, a woman who, while living under the name Victoria Blessington, became so fed up with life that she commits suicide by jumping off a bridge. Before the body is able to enter rigor mortis, demented scientist Dr. Godwin Baxter takes her to his lab and discovers she is pregnant. He is played by Oscar-nominated actor Willem Dafoe. Realizing the baby is still alive, Dr. Baxter removes Victoria's brain and replaces it with that of the baby. 
he reanimates Victoria and brings her back to life and renames her Bella. He serves as her father figure, as Bella, in an adult body, must now go through the stages of development from birth to adulthood. Godwin recruits one of his students, Max McCandles, played by Rama Youssef. Max is in charge of helping Godwin research Bella's development, but ends up falling in love with her and proposing marriage. In between this time, Bella discovers masturbation and the joys of being a sexual being. Enter Duncan Wedderburn, played by Oscar-nominated actor Mark Ruffalo. Duncan sweeps Bella off her feet and convinces her to discover life outside the confines of Godwin's lab. The two spend most of their time having sex, which Bella calls furious jumping. Along the way, Bella begins to grow more independent while developing a conscience. This leads to conflict as Duncan realizes he's losing his grip on her. Can Bella discover her true self and overcome the patriarchal society in which she lives? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it, and I give this film a... See-it! This film is insane. Yorgos Lanthimos delivers another stellar, humorous, bizarre film. This one seems to be a leading contender for the Academy Awards, and I can see why. It is so well made, so well acted, and engaging all the way through its nearly two and a half hour runtime. I mentioned before that as an actress, I feel Emma Stone is hit or miss with me, but this performance is one that deserves all the talk she's getting for a second Academy Award. I'm not sure if it would be the one I would vote for at this point because there's still a few left that I have to see, but it is up there. It is incredible what she has to do in this movie. This is her second film with Lanthimos after making the film The Favorite back in 2018. I think her comfort with him as a director shows on screen, especially in the comfort she displays during the explicitly raunchy scenes. Another one who deserves all the award talk he's getting is Mark Ruffalo. His performance is unlike anything you've ever seen him do. It's hilarious, emotional, and incredibly effective. If either of them were to win the Academy Award this year, I would not be upset. The set design is also incredible. The storyline is hilarious, and like I said, it's two and a half hours, but honestly, it felt like an hour and a half. It just flew by. It should be opening across the country this weekend, and if you're into adult comedies, this one is one to see. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Wonka is in theaters now and is a see-it. American Fiction is in select theaters now and expands over the next few weeks and through January and is a see-it. Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget is on Netflix now and is a see-it. And Poor Things is in select theaters now and is opening wide next weekend and is a see-it. This week was such a treasure trove of films, I couldn't settle on one pick of the week. But honestly, you can't go wrong with Wonka, American Fiction, or Poor Things. Any of them should be good choices. Now it's time for me to let you know of the titles that are now and will soon be available for home viewing. It's time for Now Streaming. The thrilling and surprisingly highly entertaining Gran Turismo is a hell of an action film with heart. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that movie when I saw it this summer. It is now streaming on Netflix, and to hear my full review, listen to episode 104. Helen Mirren gives a stunning performance as Golda Meir in the biopic Golda. 
It is a decent film, but felt like something was missing that could have made it great. It is available on Paramount beginning Wednesday, December 20th. To hear my review, you can also listen to episode 104. The underseen and underappreciated epic The Creator should have been more of a hit. It is an emotional action film featuring a great performance by John David Washington. It is coming to Hulu beginning Wednesday, December 20th, and to hear my full review, listen to episode 111. The bizarre and overlong Bo is Afraid features a fully committed performance by Oscar winner Joaquin Phoenix. This three-hour film is saved by a gonzo final hour, as well as a vicious performance by Patti Lapone. It is streaming on Paramount Plus beginning Thursday, December 21st, and to hear my full review, listen to episode 76. And finally, after a few weeks in the theaters, one of my favorite films of the year fast-tracks to Amazon Prime beginning the evening of Thursday, December 21st. The insane film Saltburn, starring Jacob Elordi and Oscar nominees Richard E. Grant, Rosamund Pike, and a fully committed Barry Keoghan. It's a tale of the haves versus the have-nots that has to be seen to be believed. I warn you, it is not for the prudish, but man is it good. To hear my full review, listen to episode 120. Guess what time it is? It's time for my segment where I look at films from the past. This is Be Kind, Rewind. As I begin wrapping up my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was a film I can personally relate to. And your choices were As Good As It Gets, Dangerous Minds, and The Mirror Has Two Faces. You voted and chose The Mirror Has Two Faces. Hi. Oh, hi. Uh, I saw you pass by. Yeah, I was just passing by. And the... This is Gregory Larkin. Rose, who's on the phone? Be quiet. I'm sorry. No, not you, not you. Who's calling? Gregory Larkin. I thought you were going to wear makeup today. What's the point? I'd still look like me, only in color. You need a therapist. Ah! I'd like to know what your intentions are. I'm not interested in sex. Does anybody want coffee? Starring and directed by Oscar winner Barbara Streisand, The Mirror Has Two Faces brings us into the lives of Rose and Gregory, played by Streisand and Oscar winner Jeff Bridges. Rose and Gregory are both professors at Columbia University. Gregory has been down on his luck in the romance department and has decided that sex is the root of all evil in his life. So he has decided to find a companion with whom he has absolutely no physical attraction to. He thinks he's found his perfect match in Rose, an overweight, dowdy woman who has lived in the shadow of her sister Claire, played by Mimi Rogers. Claire is the exact opposite of Rose, a gorgeous, vain woman who has had things come easily to her in her life thanks in part to her appearance. It is a life similar to their mother, Hannah, played by Lauren Bacall, in her Oscar-nominated performance. Gregory and Rose develop a relationship that is strictly platonic. However, Gregory assumes Rose understands this, yet she is surprised when, after eventually marrying... She tries to consummate the marriage with disastrous results. The event leads to Rose on a journey of self-transformation in an attempt to save her marriage. Released on November 15, 1996, The Mirror Has Two Faces was Streisand's return to the director's chair after 1991's The Prince of Tides. 
The shoot was rather tumultuous with Streisand, a well-known perfectionist, not happy with the work of many members of the production. She ended up replacing most of the crew, including cinematographer Dante Spinotti. Spinotti was replaced after production had started, which is why there are two people listed as cinematographers on this film. Rumors of friction between Streisand and Bridges garnered some headlines, but both stars dismissed the talk as merely gossip. Another person who was fired during production was actor Dudley Moore. He was replaced with George Siegel after he kept forgetting his lines. It ended up that these were actually the first signs of the brain disorder that would later kill Moore. It was a twist of fate of sorts for Siegel, who was replaced by Moore in the 1979 film Ten. One good thing to come out of this production was when Streisand was editing the film, she was invited to a dinner party where she would meet her now husband, actor James Brolin. The film was a moderate success, earning $82 million and mixed reviews. It earned two Academy Award nominations, one for the song I Finally Found Someone, a song Streisand wrote and performed with Brian Adams. The other nomination was for Bacall, a legendary actress who earned her first and only nomination for this film. Bacall was the clear frontrunner for the award that year. She was winning everything all season long, and she was the sentimental favorite to win going into the ceremony that night. However, when Kevin Spacey came out to announce the winner, the award went to the wonderful Juliette Binoche for her role in that year's Best Picture winner, The English Patient. In hindsight, it was the right choice based on a performance, but if you want to see a pissed-off, stunned reaction to losing an award, go to YouTube and watch the Best Supporting Actress clip from that year. I chose this movie because I relate to the Rose character very much. To say my luck in the romance department has been less than successful in my 50 years would be a gross understatement. But I no longer beat myself up about it and instead accept it and enjoy my life of freedom where I can do whatever I want whenever I want and don't have to accommodate anybody. It's actually kind of nice. If anything happens to change that, terrific. If not, oh well. The Mirror Has Two Faces is available to rent on various platforms. Next week's Be Kind Rewind topic is a film released in the decade I was born, which is the 1970s. Your choices are two Streisands and two horror films. What's Up Doc, Halloween, A Star is Born, or The Amityville Horror. Come to my Instagram at cedarshovit to vote for which film I should focus on, and the post with the most likes will be next week's segment. Now it's time to wrap up this episode of Cedar Shove It. As always, thank you so much for taking time to listen this week. I really appreciate it. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month, and while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. You can drop me a line at cedarshoveit at gmail.com and let me know of any ideas or suggestions, and you can also follow me on Instagram and letterboxd at cedarshoveit and rate me wherever you get your podcasts. Come back next week to hear my reviews as we gear up for the busiest box office week of the year. Reviews will include Jason Momoa in Aquaman 2, the animated Migration, and the Glenn Powell Sidney Sweeney romantic comedy Anyone But You. Until then, have a great week everyone, and I'll catch you next week. This episode of Theater Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida, and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved. <laughs>